1: Hello! Welcome to Telling Everybody
2: Everything Remembrance Day Edition. It is Wednesday the 10th of November and I have been everywhere not wearing a poppy this week, feeling like a fucking idiot. You've got to wear a poppy! You should be wearing it on television, you should be wearing it out in the shops, otherwise it invites judgment, it potentially hurts feelings. I know that people have mixed emotions about uh, military and and what it stands for and the bureaucracy of it. Fine! There are white poppies that you can wear, and that one just evokes a similar sentiment just for the fallen heroes, but in a more peaceful, you know, the white poppy, I think, advocates moving forward peace, it doesn't um, acknowledge that war is good in any way. Um, and I think a lot of us feel like war is a moneymaker for different countries, and there's a lot of, like, shady business that goes along with it. I'm not saying that conspiracy theories are on the rise, I just mean I don't know what's what anymore. I don't know what's what. So I have one day left to procure and wear a white poppy or a red poppy or, you know, whatever you want to wear. Remembrance date is tomorrow. Um, I think one of my great granddads died like two days before the war was done. Just something, some awful story like that. Like He was nearly done, but he died. And he was a Canadian soldier. I think one of my ancestries was a lieutenant as well. I mean, I say I think. I know these things, but I just can't remember exactly who. So forget poppies. How about have some respect for your own family and find out who and why and when, Catherine. Look, I've been preoccupied. We've had an absolutely mad week. We were on tour last week. We had a home base in Exmouth. And we were doing shows in Exeter and in Plymouth, yes. So that's what we've started doing now with Fred. On the good advice of Jimmy Carr, I get a hotel in the middle of where I am that weekend, which is usually, you know, usually I'm in the same sort of whereabouts for the entire weekend, though not this coming weekend. And then I satellite out. This weekend, the Misses Tour, if you haven't got tickets, is in Southampton Thursday, Lincoln Friday, Liverpool Saturday and then Dublin on Sunday. So I think we're going to stay in Leeds for that. Um, And Fred won't be too, you know, hustled and bustled all around the country. Because I mean, what the fuck? Southampton, Lincoln, and Liverpool? Have a look at a map. But that's no one's fault because with COVID, you know, we have to take what's available. So that is kind of a wild week. And then we are flying to Dublin. I have not been to Ireland in probably three years. Bobby Kutstra, Fred Kutstra, Never been to Dublin. Oh, Kitty's on the phone. This is my agent, Kitty. Hello. Hi. Hi. You're you're currently a guest, a surprise guest, on telling everybody everything. <laughs> That's
0: so funny. How are you? I'm, I'm good. How are
2: you? I'm well. If you say anything sensitive or you know racist, I'll cut it out. But I'm a massive racist, so what can I do? I know, it's going to be difficult to cut around. If you look at Kitty's Instagram, well, actually you can't because it's private, but it is just like a shrine to strong ethnic minority women. She's not racist in any way. I'm
0: definitely not. I've realized I have 5,000 posts on my Instagram. That's more than anyone. It's ridiculous. When are you going to
2: come off private and go public with this, Graham? Maybe
0: I'll go for public again. Maybe I'll get rid of private. I mean, I it's
2: very queer friendly. Yes. It seemed... It's
0: interiors. It's all the nice things. It's a great,
2: it's a great feed. It's a great feed.
0: Um, call me when you're done with telling everybody everything. No. Just chat about something boring, but just call me when you're
2: done. Just tell me what it is. Is it bad or good?
0: Um, It's annoying. <gasps>
2: I can stop the podcast. It's not a problem.
0: Stop the podcast. Oh, God. Stop, stop the
2: I'm back. It was not great. Um, I don't really care, though. Kitty was like, it's annoying, and that means it's very, very bad. That's what that means. Kitty Lang has been my agent since before my daughter Violet was born. So how long ago is that? 13, 14 years since the beginning. And um, that she seems cheerful and happy but that was kitty masking what she thought might be like a bad PR situation it's just that I mean this is telling everybody everything so I'll tell you one of the tabloid newspapers one of the big nice tabloid newspapers are doing a weird story about my personal life but that's fine with me I've just released a book obviously the audacity my entire story is in there so I mean whatever, man. I don't name names and I don't drag people through the mud unnecessarily. But I I know that sometimes when you do that, it raises like people get even more curious. They're like, well, who could that be? And who could that be? So they would like to do a story on who something could be. But I don't think it's a mean-spirited story or it's anything bad. I don't know. I don't care. And Kitty was asking, um, you know, she and my lovely PR, Amanda, were like, what should we say? And what we should say is no comment because... What people think of me is none of my business. So you go on tabloid and you write whatever you want to write. That's cool. I have no comment for you because anytime I want to say anything, I just say it on my podcast. And if I wanted people to know about my personal life or if I had a comment related to my personal life, I would probably put it here. Maybe, you know, this is this is where you get all the tea, but go away and uh, write whatever you want in school. That's fine. I wish that I would not have stopped the podcast because then you could have heard it straight from Kitty. But she was uncomfortable and, you know, consent is everything to me. So I did stop the podcast. But there you go. That's what it was. And then we talked about a really fun project that I'm doing um, November. ooh, is it 16th? It is. It is a giveaway for Snug Sofa. Now, this is not an ad, but the giveaway on my Instagram live on November 16th, I think that is an ad. Irregardless, I did a ad on this podcast for Snug Snow Snug Sofas a little while ago. And in reading the ad, I was like, what? These modular sofas, what? Such high quality, what? They're delivered in like just a few days. I was incensed because anytime I've had a sofa in this country, I mean it's a small island, so you don't have space for warehouses, I imagine. This is why it happens. You can't get an effing sofa for like 10,000 weeks. And you just have to wait till basically you move and then your sofa is ready. And then when it comes, it can't fit through the door because everywhere is tiny, listed, you know, built during gremlin times. Anyway, snug sofa um, totally fixes all of those problems that I always had with furniture. And I have a beautiful sectional sofa now in my landing. Put that up on my Instagram. And we're doing an amazing live event November 16th um, at 7 p.m. So you can sign up at Snug Sofa. And then we're giving away a sofa every eight minutes. And a sofa, that's a great prize. That is no joke. I used to watch The Price is Right with my mom when I was little. I'm sure you know the reference. Bob Barker, the big spinning wheel. You guess the money and then you win things. Um, It's not on UK television, but I'm sure you know the reference. So you've watched it online. And people would win like washer dryers or they would win a sofa. And I'd be like... That's what who wants to win that? Because I was a child and I didn't realize that home furnishings, beautiful interiors, and appliances are amazing things to win. So if your home needs a revamp and you want an amazing sofa, join me November sixteenth. Uh this week, uh where was I before Kitty's freaking news? Oh yes. We arrive home from the time in Leeds, we come in Sunday morning and we go, oh that's weird. There's a car waiting to get into our gate we drive a bit closer and we see, oh no, this car has smashed into our gate and is sticking out of the fucking house like we are the Hard Rock Hotel. And I'm not even kidding you. There is a car halfway through, you know, its nose is in the gate and in my neighbor's gate as well. The airbags are deployed. The windows have been smashed. The car, the front end of it is just completely totaled. Like, there are bricks crumbling all around my... I, when I say gate, I don't mean like a little... Crickety, rickety steel gate. I mean, bricks, concrete, limestone. I don't know what it's made of. Just old British building materials. This is crumbling all around the walkway and all around my driveway. And I'm like, what the hell? My first reaction is, is everyone okay? what has happened and we park the car we look around and there's no blood or anything so I I think okay someone must be fine and the area where you would sit that is all the same shape that it's meant to be you know what I mean so that wasn't crunched like an accordion just the front of the car was but still it was a crazy huge impact and so we're like well what do we do next like we think everyone's okay but we don't actually know Bobby calls the police and he's like hi Well, finally, he gets through. Don't get me started. I mean, I don't want to complain about emergency services because I know that it is a systemic issue. They are underfunded and they have too much to do. I think when people in America were saying defund the police, that was misunderstood in a huge way. A lot of um, people who disagreed with that sentiment were like, defund? You don't want police? No, we want police, but take some of the funding and put it into other areas so that there is... Like a drugs squad and a mental health squad and different squads to deal with specific problems, so that just crime is a police matter, and then everyone can do their job more efficiently and effectively. I think that was the sentiment that was hugely misunderstood. But anyway, I have problems with the police. My problem is when there was a potential murderer in our home it turned out just to be a burglar. If you haven't heard about the burglary, it's in a very early podcast. I think the second one, but. When Bobby first flew down the stairs after confronting this intruder upstairs, he goes, there's someone in the house. And he didn't tell me at the time he had thrown this person out the window, chased him out the window. There was there had been someone in the house. You know what I mean? But like I freaked out. I was like, wow, I ran out the house following Bobby and called the police. And on this occasion, I called 999 because I felt like there were people in our home trying to get us. 999 put me on hold. I was on hold for over a minute before they came back, I'm hysterically crying now being like, I really don't think you should have put me on hold. There's a murderer in my house. So fine. That's water under the bridge. But I mean, what if, what if, you know, big what if I had been in some really real danger? 999, you should not put people on hold. So now we have a car sticking out of our gate. Bobby calls the police, but he does not call 999. He calls 101. If you have a non-emergency, but it is a police matter. That's the number that you call. I think if you're sick, you probably call 111 and then you get some advice from the NHS. If you have a problem and you need the police or fire or whomever and it's not an emergency, 101 in the UK. We call that number. We It's a Sunday. So there's like many, many hoops to go through. They're like an automated bullshit, this and that. Press one if this and that. Press seven if, you know, your cat is tired. Press four if you stubbed your toe Like all these things. So finally, Bobby gets through to someone and Bobby's annoyed. Like he's annoyed by this car because number one, I think he's worried about the um, passengers. And number two, just the principle of like they didn't leave a note. I don't know what kind of note you would leave. Like, sorry for crashing into your house, but we we're just really confused at this point And we'd had a long journey. So the 101 person answers and Bobby's like, hi, I need the police, please. There's a car hanging out of my house. And the police are like, yeah, that's not a problem for us. Bobby's like, um, excuse me. And they said, you need to go through your insurance because unless the car is blocking traffic, we don't really care. Was there, you know, I'm paraphrasing. Bobby's like, well, what do you mean? What do I tell my insurance? It's a Sunday. And also I don't really know what has even happened. Is there a crime number I can give them? Do you have any sort of reference for the car sticking out of my house? Can you tell me if the driver is okay? Can you tell me anything? And they're like, Nope we don't know one fucking thing about this car. And Bobby's like, well, all right, if I hire someone to drag it away, am I tampering with a crime scene? Is this evidence? Like, we need more information. And they're basically like, you, Bobby, are on your own with this car. Maybe call your counsel. Call your counsel. I mean, I would have better luck manifesting this car out of my wall I'm not calling the council about it. Bobby is just like, he cannot believe that we pay the amount of tax that we do for the police to be like, well, don't, don't call us. We'll call you. It's like, okay. So we're hanging around the house, really worried. We go through the security footage, which we forgot we had. We're like, oh yeah, the cameras. We see that at around 1145 the night before, the car crashed into the gate. We couldn't really see, you know, that far, like how it happened. It came from the opposite direction that our cameras are pointing. So we just know there was a crash. And then we saw some people kind of milling around, walking around. We saw some people get picked up. We did see some flashing lights. So we know at least that the matter's been handled. There weren't any crazy ambulances or anything. So we know everybody's okay. And that was always our first concern. And then later that day, some family members came to the house and were like, oh, here's what happened, da-da-da-da, we're sorting it, we'll go through your insurance, whatever. So it's all put to bed now. But it is now Wednesday afternoon and they just got the car out of there like just about an hour ago. Just mad. So we just had a car sticking out of the gate for three days. Absolutely bananas. Bananas start to the week. And... Again, like, please drive safely when you're out there. You just never know when a dog or a fox or a banana peel or a reckless driver is going to come out of nowhere and you're going to have to swerve into someone's home. My other takeaway that I tell Violet, because she and her friends now, they go on walks, and I've had to tell her, you are not safe on the pavement. You think you're safe on the pavement, you're walking along, be alert, be aware, listen for any tires screeching or anything else, and be always looking around. Do not expect drivers to be traveling, you know, the correct uh, way down the road. Expect mistakes, anticipate someone to do something stupid or have an accident. Look all around you because Jesus, I mean, it doesn't even bear thinking about what if someone had been walking down the pavement. Ugh, it just I want to remind all of you to always be vigilant, always whether you're driving or whether you're a pedestrian. Just be always careful because this shit can happen and how lucky that everyone was fine so that's good fred um if you believe in leaps there's like an app called the wonder weeks and it's based on one study i think about child development but it suggests that there are different developmental leaps that they take at different key stages and fred if you follow this which i do i feel like it kind of makes sense for him um he has just completed his fourth leap he was a bit fussy for a couple weeks but now he's Emerged a lovely little butterfly boy with all these new skills with his hands and with the sounds he's making and looking around for his name and just his general strength. Um, He's pretty switched on and that's great. He still wakes every two hours for milk, but you know, what are you gonna do? I don't mind. And one of the things about being an older parent is we're on the same schedule. He goes to bed at seven, I'm happy to go to bed at seven. He's up at six, I'm happy to be up at six. Really excited about going downstairs and making a coffee. In the house, we have also had some uh, political upheaval because Bobby and I, I mean, we do have a bigger house now in the countryside. I used to live in a flat in London, but now we've moved out and that means obviously you get a bigger house. It does require upkeep to keep it tidy. We have a lot of guests coming this week. My dad just landed today and Bobby's family are coming next week. So it's busy. We like everything to be clean. We like it to be orderly. I feel like I can afford it. So we hired a housekeeper. This has proven to be very difficult because Bobby and I, as it slowly emerges, we are not staff people. You know, we tried to have a nanny. That didn't work well for us because we don't want someone else looking after our child. And now we're trying to have a cleaner. That doesn't work well for us because I don't want someone else making food for me and cleaning my house. You know, it's like, It's a catch-22 because I believe in giving back, you know, to the economy, having a workforce, paying people well for work that they do. But if someone asks me, oh, do you need help with the shopping bags? It is my instinct. It is a reflex to say no. If she says, oh, did you want me to take the laundry? No. Shall I change the sheets? No, no. Just relax. I can't have this woman doing anything for me because it just makes me so uncomfortable. Um. And I'm trying to get used to it because I do need help. I do. I'm working full time. I'm on tour full time. I don't sleep. And then I'm filming in the day when I'm not traveling. I'm getting calls from Kitty left, right and center about (laughs) different things. I'm promoting my book. I do need help if I want to have a good, strong marriage and a smoothly run house. And it's selfish for me, I think. Or at the very least, narcissistic to try to do it all myself and do it badly and then have no snacks in the fridge so that Violet's ordering pizza when she gets home. And, you know, and that's fine. You know, that works for families. It worked for me for a long time. But if you can avoid it, if you can ask for help, if you can afford help and someone wants to do it for you, surely you should be able to be like, all right, I put my hands up. This this house is a mess. I need help. I can't do it, though. I can't. Every single time this woman's like, would you like me to dust? I'm like, no, no, please sit down. Have a bowl of cereal. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. But that's like the motto of my life. I'll do it. I'll do it. And am I the best at doing everything? No, I'm not. Oh, and by the way, speaking of this is where it comes from. Actually, this is where the I do it attitude comes from. It comes from the, I will call it borderline fucking negligence of the lupus medical community. So some of you may have been following my struggle to get a GP. That is still a work in progress. Um, Well, I have a GP now. I've locked down a local NHS GP. But what I want, my main goal is for the care of my lupus to be taken over by this GP because I am spending so much money every six months having blood tests at the London Lupus Center, having private consultations at the London Lupus Center. And I'm sorry, you know, that that's wonderful maybe if you have active lupus and you're really sick i'm sure they've helped a lot of people and they're very knowledgeable but for my specific strain of this autoimmune disease whatever's going on with it nothing that i have learned from there has changed my life in any way um nothing i my blood tests are always all the same actually one time i had really high Auto, thi- auto antibodies my thyroid and they said well that'll never change that's just the way it is that'll never ever ever change and then I went back and they were like 10 times lower and they completely changed so I mean I do get some misinformation again I don't directly blame anyone because lupus is like oh, difficult to pin down how long is a piece of string what is lupus like it's different in everyone but um basically I've realized that I waste my money by going there Why do I not just get lupus medicine on the NHS like everybody else? So I tried to get my GP to take over my care and potentially refer me to an NHS rheumatologist, an NHS rheumatologist to see twice a year, whatever. And the GP goes, no, 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 we cannot take over your care. You need a letter from your private lupus consultant discharging you to us. And I sort of feel like, all right, what is it, what's in it for her to do that? Because... It's 240 pounds every time we have a 10-minute Zoom consultation. Why would she discharge me for an NHS doctor if she doesn't have to? You know what I mean? I think she's a good person. I think she's dedicated her life to science, but it's also a business, right? So fine, I have to make this appointment. I had this appointment the other day, a 10-minute chat, 250 pounds later. I say, please will you write me this letter so my GP can take over? And she's like, well, your GP might not know how to interpret your blood tests. And I was like, well, that's no problem because actually after a decade – I know how to interpret my blood tests and she's a little bit hesitant like well I'm not sure and I was like well tell me this what do people who can't afford private care do with lupus surely they go to an NHS GP surely that GP refers them to an NHS rheumatologist and she's like fine so she's a really nice woman she writes me the letter I think I don't have the letter yet but she says she's going to and then she's like would you like another prescription for the medicine that I have to be on for the rest of my life that is not a controlled substance doesn't make you high or anything it's not a dangerous like you can't overdose on this medicine I was like yes please write me another private prescription for this medicine because I ran out in like July and she writes me another prescription for six weeks I get this medicine six weeks at a time so basically I have this runaround every six weeks to get a medicine that I have to take for the rest of my life and now I will have people in the medical community listening, as I always do, because this is a very highbrow podcast for uh, intellectuals, academics. And they'll say, well, Catherine, you know, it's responsible to only give you a bit because then you'll come back for another consultation. You have to check your levels. You have to check this and that. Your situation might have changed. You might have lost weight. You, we need to check your eyes because this medicine can fuck up your retina. Not a huge deal. Um, and I hear you saying that, but also no. Just give me a lifelong prescription or at least longer than six weeks. And let's have a gentleman's agreement that I will have blood tests twice a year or then give me a six month prescription. I don't know. It's just like this saga is going to last a lifetime. And I just, I mean, this telling everybody everything is just going to become like another page in the book of managing lupus. And my heart goes out to people who are managing autoimmune diseases and who don't have the level of wealth and privilege that I have. And this is why I moan about it. It's not for me, but it's because it really shines a light on how bullshit it is and how hard it is. And I'm sick of it. And now I'm going to have some words from our sponsors and then get to the emails.
0: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile.
1: This email is
2: called Dad AF, which I think means dad as fuck. Catherine, I really need your help. I've been with my partner for 10 years, married for six, and we have two adopted boys who are nine and five. Life's pretty tough with both of us working full time. Plus our two boys have extra needs and we do it all on our own with no support, which has definitely affected our relationship and intimacy. Over the last six months, I've noticed a distance between us and my partner's always going to the toilet for a long time or on his phone in another room. My curiosity and gut feeling got the better of me. I checked his phone and it turns out he's on an app called Dad AF, which on face value is just an app where dads can seek advice on mental health issues and get tips. But in his messages, he's been chatting to a handful of guys and it gets pretty steamy. He asks them to send photos of themselves and is always telling them how hard he is that he's jacking off as they're making him horny and how he'd love to do things with them. Oh my God. He never sends photos of himself. Oh, what a prince and seems to ignore requests to take the conversation on to other chat sites. But I still feel that this is a massive betrayal of my trust. And in essence, it is cheating, even if he seems to just be using it as jack off material. I ended up having a chat to him and I said, something feels different. And I said, I feel like he's chatting to someone on his phone. He totally denied it. And I specifically said, so you're not chatting to anyone? And he agreed, no, I'm not. Uh, The app quickly disappeared from his phone after this, but I've seen notifications pop up on his phone since then, so he's obviously installing and uninstalling it so there's no trace on his phone, which is sneaky in and of itself. What do you think? Shall I confront him and tell him I've seen these messages? Am I overreacting? I know I've also betrayed his trust by checking his phone, so I'm really struggling with what to do. What the hell? I love that you are the villain in this all of a sudden. Well, you know, I, I really was out of line checking his phone. Let me go back to what these messages were again. He asks to see photos of the guys and he's always telling them how hard he is and that he is jacking off as they are making him horny and he would love to do things with them. I mean, talk about glass half full. You're like, well, he never sends any photos of himself though. So I really, I really got lucky with this one. It's totally cheating. I mean, I think every family has different definition of what they deem acceptable I know some women who do not want their partners to look at pornography I feel like I I wouldn't really like that but I wouldn't freak out but I do think if you like pornographic photos for example on a site or if you interact if you send messages or if you comment then I've said this before that's the difference between like Looking at something and it becoming an interaction for me, as soon as it's an interaction of any kind, it's cheating. I cannot. Bobby's in the room right now. Bobby, can you fucking imagine if I found that you were doing that on an app and and you? <laughs> can you imagine a world that I was like, well, is it cheating? Am I overreacting?
0: So should I delete the app? <laughs>
2: yes. Delete the app. Okay. Well. The, I mean, won't I. Will happen again. Oh, uh, this is a complete violation, I really worry about you though, because I feel like you aren't even really clear with yourself whether this is a violation or not, forget about what to do, it's like you don't even know, you don't trust yourself enough to be like, this has made me feel Betrayed. This has made me feel cheated on. You're sort of on the fence. You're like, well, you know, and I think you need to get clear in your own mind like, these are my boundaries and they have been violated. And then I think you need to have a chat with your partner if you want to stay together. And I mean, yeah, life gets tough. You have two kids with some extra needs and you're full time working like two parents. This is tough. So I mean, it's stressful, but some people really rise to the occasion and they make it through these tough times. Other people just get divorced. So I think you need to decide which which one of these people you're going to be. And you need to be like, "By the way, I don't know if this needs mentioning, but it is a boundary for me that you not say you're jacking off to pictures of naked men online." And then once that's articulated, if he's disrespected your boundaries, then that's cheating. That's it. And then you need to decide what you need to do about someone who's cheating because in my in my house this is cheating. In some houses maybe it's not, but I mean, he's a liar. He's cheating. I mean, Bobby. Quite honestly, if you did this, if I asked you, need, he's in the room still, but he's quiet. He's like over in the corner. If what I would do is, I wouldn't talk to you about it. I would just leave. I would just be out of the house one day, and you would never see or hear from me again. Well, our baby. well we'd have to get we'd we'd get a mediation. And they would sh- schedule the visitations with Fred, and then we'd have to go to court or something and work out a 50 50 arrangement. But you would not.
0: It sounds intense. I'm just going to stay clear of that.
2: You it? would not see my face or hear my voice again. And that's a promise. What would you do if you found me on message, in, on like, uh, what's, what's the app? Mom's Net. If I was on Mom's Net being like, oh, send me a picture of your pussy. And then like, oh, I'm really uh, scratching the record to these pics. I'd love to meet up with you. And then you asked me what I was doing, and I said, no, I'm not talking to anyone. That's pretty spicy. You know I'm a supporter of uh, same-sex relationships. (laughs) No, you're not a supporter of same-sex relationships. When it's your wife, come closer so we can definitely hear you. I was just going to say, but when it's cheating and lying and, I don't know, general misbehavior, that is, you know, I think we should probably have a, a talk. If I lied to your face, if I said, no, I'm not chatting to anyone, You would still talk to me about it? You would be like, all right, I know you are. No, no, we, you know, I I don't know. I can't, I think you, I can't even imagine it, but I mean, it wouldn't be great. No, it wouldn't be great. I wouldn't, if I found it, I wouldn't be able to keep it like, yeah, underneath. You're gonna have to say something or just leave, but I mean, it's tricky with the kids. You have to, you have to be like, I've seen it and it's a violation. And then, and then I think you need to go to counseling or something. And then, if it ever happens again, Get to the root of, like, why he's doing it. And if it ever happens again, you're done. Or you're done right now.
1: I mean, he's gay.
2: Yeah, no, it's, these are two men. Oh, yes. We know he's gay.
0: I didn't know that I missed that. Can we <laughs> cut that out?
2: No. Here's one from a young person. Catherine, I'm a 20-year-old student in a long-distance, two-year relationship with a beautiful, wonderful boy with whom I am deeply in love. I was raised in a fundamentalist Christian household, where the idea that you have sex with one person when you're married for your whole life was really hammered into me, which is why, which has kind of made me go the other way. Oh, when I masturbate, I always watch group sex porn because it's so crazy to me, but I've only slept with my boyfriend and I'm really self-conscious about my body count, even though I know that doesn't matter. I've also recently come out as bisexual. So I would like to experiment a bit with girls it's kind of just annoying to have found the person who adores me and with whom I want to spend the rest of my life this early. I mean, I'm editing it. She didn't say with whom. She said person who adores me and who I want to spend the rest of my life with this early. But this is what I do. I just like edit it along the way. I shouldn't do that. I should read it in exactly your words. Like, I want to have one night stands and go to orgies, but I don't know if that's because I'm unhappy sexually or because I've been told I can't sleep with more than one person. My boyfriend is very supportive of me wanting to explore and he says he would be up for having a threesome, which is great, but he does not want an open relationship. I don't know if having a threesome will satisfy this urge though. We do have a great sex life and I love him so much. I don't wanna do anything to jeopardize our relationship. I'm really struggling with this. He treats me so well and we are so in love. Is this a real need for me? Very interesting. So you're not sure if it's your upbringing That is making you want to rebel and have group sex, or whether, see, because I think it's your upbringing that's making you hesitant to have group sex. I don't think you're rebelling against this Christian fundamentalism. I think a lot of 20 year olds, correct me if I'm wrong, 20 year olds, I think a lot of you guys are more open about your pansexuality, bisexuality, gender fluidity. I think body count does not matter. So, by body count, if you don't know what that means, it means the number of people you've had sex with. I think that is not important to this new generation the way that it was, you know, linked with shame and stuff with us. I think you are behaving very normally for a young woman of your generation. I also think it's mad to be 20 in a relationship since you were 18 and that's the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with. That is very rare. Um, because you don't really you know when that rule was made we only lived to be 30 and now people have to really oh, consider that you could live till you're 120 that's what they're saying about 20 year olds now you're going to live to be 120 so even though this guy's great do you want to be with him for the next 100 years and then enter the messiness of like maybe having a threesome but he doesn't want to be in an open relationship and also you're long distance so I don't think your upbringing is making you rebel. I think you have dug your heels into a very serious relationship that is long distance, therefore really difficult to maintain too early. And if you look at me and Bobby, Bobby's still in the room. I loved him when I was 16 and wanted to marry him. But guess what? I was wrong. And we had to spend 20 years apart before getting back together. And we always say this, BK, if we had stayed together all that time, where do you think we'd be now?
1: uh in sarnia
2: our hometown with a bunch of kids oh <gasps> you do you don't think we just split up i don't know i think we would have, Could have. yeah i have to say it, but we wouldn't be where we are now yeah we wouldn't have like an international exciting life and we would not have grown you know what i mean bobby's divorced i have had a child with someone else i've had many weird relationships bobby has a relationship that was weird after his marriage yes and um you know these times were not great for us we didn't have orgies or group sex bobby did you ever have orgies or group sex no <laughs> no we're not like you a couple like weird like yeah things but not. go on like, what do you mean a couple weird things well like i told you about that one kind of like half threesome type of weird thing. whoa ho, ho, ho. yeah i was pretty pretty awkward well he didn't like it so your boyfriend might be biting off more than he can chew yeah it's not easy so, <laughs> I don't know. I think finish this boyfriend. I think you can lovingly be like, look, guys do this, did this all the time when I was young, so why can't you do it? Be like, I'm at uni right now. We have been too serious for too long. I love you. I do not think I can do better than you, uh, but I've just met you at the wrong time. I wish that you and I could meet when we're 30 or 35, but currently I'm 20, and when I said I wanted to have a threesome, what I meant was I want to have sex with a woman and you not be there. And then move on with your life. And if it's meant to be, it will find you. And you will reunite with this man. But I mean, for you to try to navigate all these questions with him, I know you don't want to jeopardize the relationship. But I think by, by starting to date too young and trying to stay together forever, like that does jeopardize the relationship. Look at me and Bobby once again. You could end up with this man. But you're going to have to spread your wings a little bit in the meantime. It is a relationship bonanza in the emails today. Alright, Catherine, I was with my ex for a little over a year and I was his longest relationship. I'm 24, he's 25. We met on Tinder and we were basically together since the first date and for most of our relationship it was great. However, anytime he had some problems in his personal life, he would take it out on me by being moody and mean to me and generally making me feel like I'm annoying him by just being there. This hurt me, but I loved him so I stuck it out and once his stressful situation ended, I thought he'd be back to being loving and kind. A few months ago, this started again. He was trying to finish his PhD and was very stressed, and he started acting differently towards me again. We only saw each other once a week, but he would sometimes cancel this because he got too drunk the night before and would say he was too hungover to see me. I tried to tell him that it hurt me when he did this and made me feel like I wasn't a priority, but he's a bad communicator and he would just change the subject. But apparently this lack of communication was only with me because on our last date night, I saw that his Snapchat best friends were two girls I didn't know. He said he only spoke to them platonically about his mental health struggles. Well, there's an app for that. Get him on Dad AF. That's where dads congregate to jack off to each other's mental health issues. Um. By the way, I don't mean to like libel the app. I really don't want to get sued by Dad AF. But by the way, Dad AF, if you're listening, there are people doing porn on your, on your app, so just know that. Um, I've been trying to get him to open up to me about his mental health. He said he didn't talk to me about it as he didn't want to annoy me, and he didn't care if he annoyed these two girls, so that's why he talked to them. After this, I was so upset, I felt betrayed and embarrassed that he was speaking to girls behind my back, so he said he would make more effort to show me he loves me and to make me trust him again. He started saying he loved me a lot more and being really cute again, but then over the space of a week he stopped and eventually it led to him breaking up with me and saying he didn't love me anymore. I was so blindsided by this. He said he was struggling mentally and just needed to be alone for a while and we haven't spoken since. Fast forward two weeks later and my friends find him on Bumble with his profile saying he's looking for something casual. He isn't one to sleep around, so I'm so confused and hurt as to why he's already on a dating app after saying he needs to be alone. He cried his eyes out when we broke up, and I've never seen him cry before, so I thought he was genuinely upset at the end of our relationship, but him being back on dating apps already is suggesting otherwise. I really thought he was the one. I'm so heartbroken. Should I confront him about this or talk to him at all? No, no. you He's not your boyfriend, so you must not confront him. Confront who? He doesn't exist to you anymore. He is not in your life. He is not your boyfriend. He is your ex-boyfriend. Also, you have no business trying to psychoanalyze like why he's doing this or that. It's just going to drive you nuts. Two things can be true at the same time. He can be sad about breaking up with you, but he can also be interested in casual dating. I think I hate to draw like, you know, gender generalities. What's the word there? Like, What's the thing? What am I trying to say, Bobby? Specific gender, gender stereotypes. stereotypes. Wow. Long COVID and a newborn. He's not really a newborn anymore. He's almost five months. He'll be five months this week. But listen, I don't want to gender stereotype you. But I think in my experience with my girlfriends, it's very hard for us to imagine that guys can be Um, Depressed and still want to fuck a stranger. Sad and still want to fuck a stranger. In love with you, but still want to fuck a stranger. Busy, but still want to fuck a stranger. Need space, but still want to fuck a stranger. But they can be anything and still want to fuck a stranger. And sometimes they use dating apps just for entertainment, just to chat to someone, kind of like a game, a distraction. You can never predict, you know, or like decipher how someone's truly feeling inside by their activity on dating apps, you know, different people deal with grief different ways. And also he just sounds really immature in the email, like taking out his stress on you, being unkind to you, flip-flopping in the space of a week. I think you were wrong to think he was the one. He was never the one through this whole email. And if it's his PhD you're clinging on to, you rest assured that junior doctors make no money at all in this country. So you would be, you would be in a real better position. Just dating someone else yourself or being alone. This guy and everything you've told me about him, he just seems really mature. Bobby, did you listen to this email? Do you have any reactions? No, I didn't hear it. I'm so sorry. Why aren't you listening? What are you doing over there? Headphones? No, no. I'm just reading some sports news. Oh, my God. So you see, this is how it ends anyway. You can be madly in love with someone who's totally right for you and they're not... You know, jerking off to other dads on apps, and they're not breaking up with you, and they don't have secret chats with their girlfriends on Snapchat, um, and they still are sick of your shit after three years, and they will put headphones on when you're in the room and watch sporting news. So, I mean, you're only 24. Be by yourself for a while. Please stop thinking about this man and trying to, like, sleuth about what he's thinking, what he's doing, what it means. This is the main mistake that we make of course he's going to be on dating apps. Why? Because it feels better to have interest from someone and to have a distraction from whatever's going on. Um, It's not a reflection of his relationship with you. It's not a reflection of how he feels. You can't take it personally. You shouldn't even know about it. If another one of your friends comes to you and says, I saw so-and-so on a date, or I saw so-and-so on a dating app, you say to them, that's none of my business. I'd appreciate if you don't update me on my news about my ex ever again. And you hold your head high and you move forward. That is unfortunately all the time we have here today on telling everybody everything. I await the spicy tabloid article that is about to come out this week. Maybe Sunday. Ooh, if I'm lucky. If it's real spicy, it comes out on a Sunday. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for your emails. If you would like to write me one, it's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Um, If you enjoyed my mother's contribution, either on any of my podcasts or in the audiobook version of The Audacity, a lot of people write me about my mom and how funny and smart they think she is. She, on my advice, has started her own podcast. It is called Jewels Says, and that's jewels like the jewelry, J-E-W-E-L-S, says, she says things. And I think that's hosted somewhere uh, I think you can listen to it on a Google podcast. It's not everywhere yet, but I mean, if you're really savvy, you can find it. Or you can email her, jules says at gmail.com. And I've listened to the first podcast. It is incredible. It's just 15 minutes long. You know, she's just getting her um, getting her feet wet. Is that what we
0: say? Getting her feet wet?
2: Oh, Bobby's listening now. Well, well, well. Someone's decided to take an interest in their wife's endeavors. If you'd like to come see me on tour tomorrow, Thursday, November 11th, I'm in Southampton, then Lincoln, then Liverpool, then Dublin, then Brighton, then Poole, then Bristol, then, um, then Margate, then Birmingham, then Reading. I don't know. I'm touring around the UK for
1: about a year. Please come see me. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods,